0: Be sure to follow Send Me to Sleep on your preferred podcast
1: player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the place to find a good night's rest. My name's Andrew. I'm here to calm your mind and help
0: you relax into a peaceful night's sleep. I'm going to do that by reading you some Christmas stories. Tonight, I'll be reading The Little Girl's Christmas by Winifred E. Lincoln and The Christmas Matinee by Mrs. M. A.
1: L. Lane. Tonight's stories will be ones of Christmas magic, giving, and gratefulness. First, Let's make sure we're ready to fall asleep. If you haven't already, find a nice place to get cosy. Be it in a chair, in your bed, or elsewhere. And rest your body in whatever
0: way feels most relaxed. Sitting up, laying down, eyes open or eyes closed. We all fall asleep in our own time. And in our own way, so while you're on your
1: journey to sleep tonight, all you'll need to do is listen to the sound of my voice. And now, let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Little Girl's Christmas It was Christmas Eve, and Little Girl had just hung up her stocking
0: by the fireplace, right where it would be all ready for Santa when he slipped down the chimney. She knew he was coming, because, well, because it was Christmas Eve, and because he had always come to leave gifts for her on all the other Christmas Eves that she could remember, and because she had seen his pictures everywhere downtown that afternoon when she was out with Mother. Still, she wasn't just satisfied. Way down in her heart, she was a little uncertain. You see, when you have never really and truly seen a person with your very own eyes, It's hard to feel as if you exactly believe in him, even though that person always has left beautiful gifts for you every time he has come. Oh, he'll come, said little girl. I just know he will be here before morning, but somehow I wish. Well, what do you wish? said a tiny voice close by her. So close that little girl fairly jumped when she heard it. Why, I wish I could see Santa myself. I'd just like to go and see his house and his workshop and ride in his sleigh and know Mrs. Santa. T'would be so much fun. And then I'd know for sure.
1: Why don't you go then? said Tiny Voice. It's easy enough. Just try on these shoes, and
0: take this light in your hand, and you'll find your way all right. So little girl looked down on the hearth, and there were two cunning little shoes side by side, and a little spark of light close by them, just as if they were all made of one of the glowing coals of the wood fire. Such cunning shoes as they were, Little Girl could hardly wait to pull off her slippers and try them on. They looked as if they were too small, but they weren't. They fitted exactly right. And just as Little Girl had put both of them on and had taken the light in her hand, along came a little breath of wind, and away she went up the chimney, along with ever so many other little sparks, past the soot fairies and out into the open air, where Jack Frost and the starbeams were all busy at work making the world look pretty for Christmas. Away went little girl, two shoes, bright light and all, higher and higher, until she looked like a wee bit of a star up in the sky. It was the funniest thing, but she seemed to know the way perfectly and didn't have to stop to make inquiries anywhere. You see, it was a straight road all the way, and when one doesn't have to think about turning to the right or to the left, it makes things very much easier. Pretty soon... Little girl noticed that there was a bright light all around her. Oh, a very bright light. And right away, something down in her heart began to make her feel very happy indeed. She didn't know that the Christmas spirits and little Christmas fairies were all around her, and even right inside her, because she couldn't see a single one of them even though her eyes were very bright and could usually see a great deal. But that was just it, and little girl felt as if she wanted to laugh and sing and be glad. It made her remember the sick boy who lived next door, and she said to herself that she would carry him one of her prettiest picture books in the morning so that he could have something to make him happy all day. By and by, when the bright light all around her had grown very, very much brighter, little girl saw a path right in front of her, all straight and trim, leading up a hill to a big, big house with ever and ever so many windows in it. When she had gone just a bit nearer, she saw candles in every window, red and green and yellow ones, and every one burning brightly. So little girl knew right away these were Christmas candles to light her on her journey and make the way dear for her. And something told her that this was Santa's house and that pretty soon she would perhaps see Santa himself. Just as she neared the steps, and before she could possibly have had time to ring the bell, the door opened,
1: opened of itself
0: as wide as could be, and there stood, not Santa himself, don't think it, but a funny little man with slender little legs and a roly-poly stomach which shook every now and then when he laughed. You would have known right away, just as little girl knew, that he was a happy little man, and you would have guessed right away too that the reason he was so roly-poly was just because he laughed and chuckled and smiled all the time for it's only sour, cross folks who are thin and skimpy. Quick as a wink, he pulled off his little peak red cap, smiled the broadest kind of smile,
1: and said, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, come in, come in. So in little
0: girl went, holding fast to little man's hand. And when she was really inside, there was the jolliest, reddest fire, all glowing and snapping, and there were little man and all his brothers and sisters, who said their names were Merry Christmas and Good Cheer, who said their names were Merry Christmas and Good Cheer, and ever so many other jolly-sounding things, and there were such a lot of them that little girl just knew she never could count them, no matter how long she tried. All around her were bundles and boxes and piles of toys and games, and little girl knew that these were all ready and waiting to be loaded into Santa's big sleigh for his reindeer to whirl them away over the cloud tops and snow drifts to the little people down below who had left their stockings all ready for him. Pretty soon, all the little good cheer brothers began to hurry and bustle and carry out the bundles as fast as they could to the steps where little girl could hear the jingling bells and the stamping of hooves. So little girl picked up some bundles and skipped along too, for she wanted to help a bit herself. It's no fun whatever at Christmas, unless you can help, you know. And there in the yard stood the biggest sleigh that little girl had ever seen, and the reindeer were all stamping and prancing and jingling the bells on their harnesses because they were so eager to be on their way to Earth once more. She could hardly wait for Santa to come, and just as she began to wonder where he was, the door opened again, and out came a whole forest of Christmas trees. At least, it looked just as if a whole forest had started out for a walk somewhere. But a second glance... Showed Little Girl that there were thousands of Christmas sprites, and that each one carried a tree or a big Christmas wreath on its back. Behind them all, she could hear someone laughing loudly and talking in a big, jovial voice that sounded as if it were good friends with the whole world. And straightway, she knew that Santa himself was coming. Little girl's heart went pitter pat for a minute while she wondered if Santa would notice her. But she didn't have to wander long, for he spied her at once
1: and said, Bless
0: my soul.
1: Who is this and where
0: did you come from?
1: Little girl thought perhaps
0: she might be afraid to answer him she wasn't one bit afraid. You see, he had such a kind little twinkle in his eye that she felt happy right away as she replied, Oh, I'm little girl, and I want so much to see Santa that I just came and here I am.
1: Ho, 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 laughed Santa. And here you
0: are. Wanted to see Santa did you, and so you came. Now that's very nice, and it's too bad I'm in such a hurry, for we should like nothing better than to show you about and give you a real good time. But you see it is quarter of twelve now, and I must be on my way at once, else I'll never reach that first chimney top by midnight. I'll call Mrs. Santa and ask her to get you some supper, but she is busy finishing doll's clothes, which must be done before morning, and I guess we'd better not bother her. Is there anything that you would like, little girl? And good old Santa put his big warm hand on little girl's curls, and she felt its warmth and kindness clear down to her very heart. You see, my dears, that even though Santa was in such a great hurry, he wasn't too busy to stop and make someone happy for a minute, even if it was someone no bigger than the little girl. So she smiled back into Santa's face and said, Oh Santa! If I could only ride down to earth with you, behind those splendid reindeer, I'd love to go. Won't you please take me? I'm so small that I won't take up much room on the seat, and I'll keep very still and not bother you one bit. Then Santa laughed, such a laugh, big and loud and rollicking. And he said, "Wants a ride does she, well, well, shall we take her, little elves, shall we take her, little fairies, shall we take her, good reindeer? And all the little elves hopped and skipped and brought little girl a sprig of holly, and all the little fairies bowed and smiled. And brought her a bit of mistletoe. And all the good reindeer jingled their bells
1: loudly, which meant, Oh, yes, let's take her. She's a good little girl. Let her ride.
0: And before Little Girl could even think, she found herself all tucked up in the big fur robes beside Santa. And away they went right out into the air, over the clouds, through the Milky Way, and right under the very handle of the Big Dipper. On, on, on towards the Earthland, whose lights little girl began to see twinkling away down below her. Presently, she felt the runners scrape upon something, and she knew they must be on someone's roof, and that Santa would slip down someone's chimney in a minute. How she wanted to go, too. You see, if you had never been down a chimney and seen Santa fill up the stockings, you would want to go quite as much as little girl did, now wouldn't you? So, Just as little girl was wishing as hard as ever she could wish, she heard a tiny voice say, hold tight to his arm, hold tight to his arm. So she held Santa's arm tight and close, and he shouldered his pack, never thinking that it was heavier than usual, and with a bound and a slide, there they were, Santa Little girl, pack and all, right in the middle of a room where there was a fireplace and stockings all hung up for Santa to fill. Just then, Santa noticed little girl. He had forgotten all about her for a minute, and he was very much surprised to see that she had come too. Bless my soul, he said. Where did you come from, little girl? And how in the world can we both get back up the chimney again? It's easy enough to slide down, but it's quite another matter to climb out again. And Santa looked real worried. But little girl was beginning to feel very tired by this time, for she had a very exciting evening. So she said, "Oh." Never mind me, Santa. I've had such a good time, and I'd just as soon stay here a while as not. I believe I'll curl up on his hearth rug a few minutes and have a little nap, for it looks as warm and cosy as our own hearth rug at home. And, why, it is our own hearth rug, and it's my own nursery. For there is Teddy Bear in his chair, where I leave him every night. And there's Bunny Cat, curled up on his cushion in the corner. And Little Girl turned to thank Santa and say goodbye to him. But either he had gone very quickly, or else she had fallen asleep very quickly. She never could tell which, for the next thing she knew. Daddy was holding her in his arms and was saying, What is my little girl doing here? She must go to bed, for it's Christmas Eve, and old Santa won't come if he thinks there's any little folk about. But little girl knew better than that, and when she began to tell him all about it and how the Christmas fairies had welcomed her, and how Santa had given her such a fine ride, Daddy laughed and laughed, and said, You've been dreaming, little girl, you've been dreaming. But little girl knew better than that, too, for there, on the hearth, was the little black coal, which had given her two shoes and bright light, and tight in her hand, she held a holly berry, which one of the Christmas sprites had placed there. More than all that, there she was on the hearthrug herself. There she was on the hearthrug herself, just as Santa had left her. And that was the best proof of all. The trouble was, Daddy himself had never been a little girl. So he couldn't tell anything about it. But we know she hadn't
1: been dreaming. Now don't we, my dears? A Christmas Matinee It was the day before Christmas in the year 1892.
0: Snow was falling heavily in the streets of Boston but the crowd of shoppers seemed undiminished. As the storm increased, groups gathered at the corner and in sheltering doorways to wait for belated cars, but the holiday cheer was in the air and there was no grumbling. Mothers dragging tired children through the slush of the streets, pretty girls hurrying home for the holidays. Here and there, a harassed looking man with perhaps a single package, which he had taken a whole morning to select, all had the same spirit of tolerant good humour. School Street, School Street, called the conductor of an electric car. A group of young people at the farther end of the car started to their feet. One of them, A young man wearing a heavy fur-trimmed coat addressed the conductor angrily. I said music hall, didn't I? he demanded. Now we've got to walk back in the snow because of your stupidity. Oh, never mind, Frank, one of the girls interposed. We ought to have been looking out for ourselves, six of us and we went by without a thought. It is all Mrs Tyrrell's fault. She shouldn't have been so entertaining. The young matron dimpled and blushed. That's charming of you, maidie, she said, gathering up her silk skirts as she prepared to step down into the pond before her. The compliment makes up for the blame. But how it snows!
1: It doesn't matter. We all have gaiters on, returned Maidy Williams, undisturbed. "Fares, please, said the conductor, stolidly. Frank
0: Armstrong thrust his gloved hand deep into his pocket with angry vehemence. There's your money, he said, and be quick about the change, will you? We've lost time enough. The man counted out the change with stiff, red fingers, closed his lips firmly as if to keep back an obvious rejoinder, rang up his six fares with careful accuracy, and gave the signal to go ahead. The car went on into the drifting storm. Armstrong laughed shortly as he rapidly counted the bits of silver lying in his open palm. He turned instinctively, but two or three cars were already between him and the one he was looking for. The fellow must be an imbecile, he said, rejoining the group on the crossing. He's given me back a dollar and twenty cents, and I handed him a dollar bill. Oh, can't you stop him, cried Mady Williams with a backward step into the wet street. The Harvard junior, who was carrying her umbrella, protested. What's the use, Miss Williams? He'll make it up before he gets to Scully Square, you may be sure. Those chaps don't lose anything. Why, the other day, I gave one a quarter, and he went off as cool as you please. Where's my change? said I. You gave me a nickel. Said he, and there wasn't anybody to swear that I didn't expect myself, and I didn't count. But that doesn't make any difference, insisted the girl warmly. Because one conductor was dishonest, we needn't be. I beg your pardon, Frank, but it does seem to me just stealing. Oh, come along, said her cousin with an easy laugh. I guess the West End Corporation won't go without their dinners tomorrow. Here, maidie, here's the ill-gotten fifty cents. I think you ought to treat us all after the concert. Still, I won't urge you. I wash my hands of all responsibility, but I do wish you hadn't such an unpleasant conscience. Madie flushed under the sting of his cousinly rudeness, but she went on quietly with the rest. It was evident that any attempt to overtake the car was out of the question. Did you notice his number, Frank? she asked suddenly. No, I never thought of it, said Frank, stopping short. However, I probably shouldn't make any complaint if I had. I shall forget all about it tomorrow. I find it's never safe to let the sun go down on my wrath. It's very likely not to be there the next day. I wasn't thinking of making a complaint, said Maidie, but the two young men were enjoying the small joke too much to notice what she said. The great doorway of the music hall was just ahead. In a moment, the party were within its friendly shelter, stamping off the snow. The girls were adjusting veils and hats with adroit feminine touches. The pretty chaperone was beaming approval upon them, and the young men were taking off their wet overcoats when Maidie turned again in sudden desperation. Mr. Harris, she said, rather faintly for she did not like to make herself disagreeable. Do you suppose that car comes right back from Scully Square? What car? asked Walter Harris, blankly. Oh, the one we came in. Yes, I suppose it does. They're running all the time, anyway. Why, you're not sick, are you, Miss Williams? there was genuine concern in his tone. This girl, with her sweet, vibrant voice, her clear grey eyes, seemed very charming to him. She wasn't beautiful, perhaps, but she was the kind of girl he liked. There was a steady earnestness in the grey eyes that made him
1: think of his mother. No, said Maidie slowly. I'm all right, thank you, but I wish I could find
0: that man again. I know sometimes they have to make it up if their accounts are wrong, and I couldn't. We couldn't feel very comfortable. Frank Armstrong interrupted her. "Mady," he said, with the studied calmness with which one speaks to an unreasonable child. You are perfectly absurd. Here it is within five minutes of the tune for the concert to begin. It is possible to tell when that car is coming back. You are making us all very uncomfortable. Miss Tyrrell, won't you please tell her not to spoil our afternoon?" I think he's right, maidie, said Mrs. Tyrrell. It's very nice of you to feel so sorry for the poor man but he really was very careless. It was all his own fault. And just think how far he made us walk. My feet are quite damp. We ought to go in directly, or we shall all take cold, and I'm sure you wouldn't like that, my dear. She led the way as she spoke, the two girls and the young Armstrong following. May hesitated. It was so easy to go in, to forget everything in the light and warmth and excitement. No, she said, very firmly, and as much to herself as to the young man who stood waiting for her. I must go back and try to make it right. I'm so sorry, Mr. Harris, but if you will tell them. Why, I'm going with you, of course said the young fellow, impulsively. If I'd only looked once at the man, I'd go alone, but I shouldn't know him from Adam. May laughed. Oh, I don't want to lose the whole concert, Mr. Harris, and Frank has all the tickets. You must go after them and try to make my peace. I'll come just as soon as I can. Don't wait for me, please. If you'll come and look for me here the first number, and not let them scold me too much, she ended with an imploring little catch in her breath that was almost a sob. They shan't say a word, Miss Williams, cried Walter Harris, with honest admiration in his eyes. But she was gone already, and conscious that further delay was only making matters worse he went on into the hall. Meanwhile, the car swung heavily along the wet rails on its way to the turning point. It was nearly empty now. An old gentleman and his nurse were the only occupants. Jim Stevens, the conductor, had stepped inside the car. Too bad I forgot those young people wanted to get off at Music Hall he was thinking to himself. I don't see how I came to do it. That chap looked as if he wanted to complain of me, and I don't know if I blame him. I'd have said I was sorry if he hadn't been so sharp with his tongue. I hope he won't complain just now. Twould be a pretty bad time for me to get in trouble, with Mary and the baby both sick. I'm too sleepy to be good for much, that's a fact. Sitting up three nights running takes hold of a fellow somehow when he's at work all day. The rent's paid, that's one thing, if it hasn't left me but half a dollar to my name. Hello. He was struck by a sudden distinct recollection of the coins he had returned. Why? I gave him fifty cents too much." He glanced up at the dial which indicated the fares and began to count the change in his pocket. He knew exactly how much he had at the beginning of the trip. He counted carefully. Then he plunged his hand into the heavy canvas pocket of his coat. Perhaps he had half a dollar there. No,
1: it was empty. He faced the fact reluctantly. Fifty cents short, ten fares,
0: gone into the pocket of the young gentleman with the fur collar. The conductor's hand shook as he put the money back in his pocket.
1: It meant, what did it mean? He drew a long breath. Christmas Eve. A dark,
0: dreary little room upstairs in a noisy tenement house. A pale, thin woman on a shabby lounge, vainly trying to quiet a fretful baby. The child is thin and pale too, with a hard, racking cough. There is a small fire in the stove, a very small fire. Coal is so high. The medicine stands on the shelf.
1: Medicine won't do much good, the doctor had said. He needs beef and cream. Jim's heart sank at
0: the thought. He could almost hear the baby asking, isn't papa coming soon, isn't he, Mamma?" Poor little kid, Jim said, softly, under his breath. And I shan't have a thing to take home to him, nor Mary's violets either. It'll be the first Christmas that ever happened. I suppose that chap would think it ridiculous for me to be buying violets. He wouldn't understand what the flowers mean to Mary. Perhaps he didn't notice I gave him too much. That kind don't know how much they have. They just pull it out as if it were newspaper. The conductor went out into the snow to help the nurse, who was assisting the old gentleman to the ground. Then the car swung on again. Jim turned up the collar of his coat about his ears and stamped his feet. There was the florist shop where he had meant to buy the violets and the toy shop was just around the corner. A thought flashed across his tired brain. Plenty of men would do it. They do it every day. Nobody ever would be the poorer for it. This car will be crowded going home. I needn't ring in every fare. Nobody could tell. But Mary... She wouldn't touch those violets if she knew.
1: And she'd know. I'd have to tell her. I couldn't keep it from her. She's that quick. He
0: jumped off to adjust the trolley with a curious sense of unreality. It couldn't be that he was really going home this Christmas Eve with empty hands. Well, They must all suffer together for his carelessness. It was his own fault, but it was hard, and he was so tired. To his amazement, he found his eyes were blurred as he watched the people crowding into the car. What? Was he going to cry like a baby? He, a great burly man of thirty years, It's no use, he thought. I couldn't do it. The first time I gave Mary Violets was the night she said she'd marry me. I told her then I'd do my best to make her proud of me. I guess she wouldn't be very proud of a man who could cheat. She'd rather starve than have a ribbon she couldn't pay for. He rang up a dozen fares with a steady hand. The temptation was over. Six more strokes, then nine without a felter. He even imagined the bell rang more distinctly than usual, even encouragingly. The car stopped. Jim flung the door open with a triumphant sweep of his arm. He felt ready to face the world.
1: But the baby. His arm dropped. It was hard. He turned to help the young girl
0: who was waiting at the step. Through the whirling snow, he saw her eager face with a quick recognition lighting the steady eyes and wondered dimly, as he stood with his hand on
1: his signal strap, where he could have seen her before. He knew immediately. There was a mistake she said, with a shy tremor in her voice.
0: You gave us too much change, and here it is. She held out to Jimmy the piece of silver which had given him such an unhappy quarter of an hour. He took it like one dazed. Would the young lady think he was crazy to care so much about a small coin? He must say something. Thank you, miss, he stammered, as well as he could.
1: You see, I thought it was gone, and there's the baby, and it's Christmas Eve, and my wife's sick, and you can't understand. It certainly was not remarkable that she couldn't. But I do, she said, simply. I was afraid of that
0: and I thought perhaps there was a baby, so I brought my Christmas present for her. And something else dropped into Jim's cold hand. What you waiting for? shouted the motorman from the front platform. The girl had disappeared in the snow. Jim rang the bell to go ahead and gazed again at the two shining half-dollars in his hand. I didn't have a chance to tell her, he explained to his wife late in the evening, as he sat in a tiny rocking chair, several sizes too small for him, that the baby wasn't to her at all, though if I thought he'd grow up into such a lovely one as she is, I don't know but I almost wish he was. Poor Jim, said Mary with a little laugh as she put her hand to stroke his rough cheek. I guess you're tired. And I should say, he added, stretching out his long legs towards the few red sparks at the bottom of the grate, I should say she had tears in her eyes too. But I was that near crying myself, I couldn't be sure. The little room was sweet with the odour of English violets. Asleep in the bed lay the boy, a toy horse, clasped close to his breast.
1: Bless her heart, said Mary softly. Well, Miss Williams, said Walter Harris,
0: as he sprang to meet a snow-covered figure coming swiftly along the sidewalk. I can see that you found him. You've lost the first number, but they won't scold you. Not this time. The girl turned a radiant face upon him. Thank you, she said, shaking the snowy crystals from her skirt.
1: I don't care now if they do. I should have lost more than that if I had stayed.